With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Bluffy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We have got a great podcast for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be heading out to the great state of Wisconsin. That's where we find Bill Schmidt. We're going to be talking with him about some of the teams in the NL Central, really keying in on the Milwaukee Bears, taking a look at what the Cubs might be doing at the deadline. We know that they're going to be selling. What might that look like as well? And do the Brewers have the best pitching staff in baseball? We're going to be asking that to him in the second segment. Then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys side turtle on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something I like to call, touch them off first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. So you got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GRNSCORDY1. Keep in mind, letters ZM, they mean does not matter. So always send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Them from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of baseball on Friday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Philadelphia Phillies were able to fill up another win on the Atlanta Braves. 5-1 to one the final. The Braves still have not been above 500 all year long. They fall to 47-49 and 49 as 
They wind up leaving 10 men on base as Max Freed. Not a great start for him. He gives up four runs over the course of five innings. From there, the bullpen wasn't too bad. Shane Green, along with Edgar Santana, both give you a scoreless inning. Sean Newcomb gives up a run in an inning, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler. Well, he was Whelan and Dylan. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Ranger Suarez and Archie Bradley both give you a scoreless inning, and for the Phillies, they go just one of 12 with men in scoring position, but JT Riamuto did not care about that in the first inning. Got his 10th home run the season off of Max Fried, so a good win for the Philadelphia Phillies, who at home so far this year have been very solid. They are now 28-18 and 18 at home. Another team that is very solid at home, that would be the New York Metropolitans, as at 29-14, and 14, they've got the second-best record at home in the big leagues, and they take it to the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 3-0. to zero. For the Blue Jays, not necessarily a bad start here from Steven Matz. Five and two-thirds innings, he does give up a home run, but just two runs in total going deep for the Mets off of him. Pete Alonso for his 20th home run of the season, and then he would go deep off of Ryan Baruki, a solo shot, his 21st home run of the season. For Baruki, he winds up giving up that solo home run in his inning of work. Taylor Sacido gives you a scoreless inning, though, and Adam Simber was able to give you an out of the bullpen, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, they get just three hits in this one. How about Tyler McGill? Six scoreless innings, he gives up just two hits in the process. Seth Lugo, Trevor May, Edwin Diaz, all give you a scoreless inning. Mets able to get the job done, despite the fact that they're a bottom five team when it comes to runs per game, they have been able to get it done. How about the Twins being able to have a winning record in Jay Hab's last 13 starts despite the fact that in that time span, he's got an ERA that is hovering right around a 7-5. They get it done again 5-4 to the final. The Angels wind up putting up three runs in the first, one run in the second, and then nothing after that. As Hap gives the team six innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Going deep for the Angels, Jack Mayfield along Kurt Suzuki, both of their third home runs of the season as they wind up giving Jared Walsh most of the game off. He wound a pitch inning, and then Shoei Otani did not appear in this game at all. And for Alex Cobb, solid start here. He gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of five innings. But the Angels' bugaboo all year long has been the bullpen. Rossi Iglesias gives up a run in an inning. So does Tony Watson. And so does Steve Ciszek as the Minnesota Twins do not wind up getting a home run in this game. But they got 13 hits. 4-13 with men in scoring position. And the bullpen did their job. Taylor Rogers, Juan Manaya, Alex Colome all able to give you a scoreless inning. So the Minnesota Twins who have been a big disappointment all year long. They get the job done. The Pittsburgh Pirates who have been a massive disappointment all year long. They get it done against the... Best team with regards to record in the big leagues, the San Francisco Giants. 6 of 4 the final. For the Pirates, Mr. Brian Reynolds gets his 18th home run of the season. Pirates go just 0 of 9 with runners in scoring position, but they were able to get a good appearance out of their bullpen in general. Clay Holmes along David Bernard. Two scoreless innings out of them. Chris Strain goes two thirds of an inning scoreless. Richard Rodriguez does give up a run in the ninth, but it wasn't enough. Chad Cool winds up giving up two runs, three runs in total over the course of five and a third innings going deep for the Giantes. Austin Dickerson, 10th home run of the season, and Steven Duger is 7th, but Johnny Cueto winds up giving up 3 runs in 5 innings, and a Lamonte Wade fielding error really hurt Dominique Leon. Comes in for a third of an inning, gives up 3 runs, just one of which was earned due to that error. John Brebo was able to give you a scoreless inning, Jarlon Garcia has 1 and 2 thirds innings scoreless, and Jay Jackson able to give you a scoreless inning, but the Giants unable to get it done on Friday. The Rangers were unable to get it done on the road against the Houston Astros. 7-3 the final for the Texas Rangers. They have went really cold with regards to the power. Joey Gallo has yet to get a home run since the All-Star break. Eight Oliska 
Garcia at six home runs over the last 60 days, and Kobe Eller, yeah, by far his worst start of the year. Had actually been doing a relatively solid job prior to this start, but gives up seven runs, all of which were earned over the course of four innings. Now, the good news for the Rangers, bullpen looks off. Brett Martin along Julie Rodriguez were able to give you a scoreless inning, and Demarcus Evans and Dennis Santana goodbye for two scoreless innings, but for the Houston Astros, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Kyle Tucker, his 18th of the season, and I don't understand why Jake Odorizzi is getting starts over one Christian Javier, four and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, but Brandon Bielak from there, two and a third inning scoreless. Blake Taylor, Christian Javier from there, both give you a scoreless inning as the Astros able to get it done against a Texas Rangers team that they are approaching a mark in which is very bad on the road. They are 13-38 and 38 so far this year away from Arlington, so that is not great. The Detroit Tigers entered into Friday with a seven-game winning streak. That was snapped by the Kansas City Royals. 5-3, the final. Willie Peralta had given up one run in his last four starts. He gives up five and five and two-thirds innings. He figured regression was going to come in, and it hit hard as for the Royals. Pair of home runs in this one. One Carlos Santana, 16th home run of the season, and Ryan Earn is eighth as Chris with a K. Bubich. Very good start. Gives up one solo home run over the course of six innings going deep was Willie Castro's seventh home run of the season for the Kansas City Royals. Kyle Zimmer did not do the job out of the bullpen. Gives up two runs and two-thirds of an inning, but Scott Barlow gives you four outs of the bullpen, scoreless, and Greg Holland gives you a scoreless thing to be able to get a save. And for the Tigres, bullpen was solid in this one. Daniel Norris, scoreless inning. Derek Holland, one and a third inning, scoreless as well. And the Royals, this is a team that they have really been miring in, not doing well in general, but they were able to get it done there. The Seattle Mariners are currently 52-46 and 46, thanks to their win over the Oakland A's by a count of 4-3. to three, Despite the fact that they've got a run differential currently of a negative 54. It is absolutely amazing to see how this team continues to mount wins. And for the Seattle Mariners, I believe that they are now 20-9 and nine in one-run games. Frankie Montas did not necessarily do a great job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, but did get 10 strikeouts in 6 innings, giving up 3 runs along the way, 2 of which were of the home run variety. Lewis Torrance, 12th home run of the season, and then the first career home run of backup catcher Cal Rawls. So you had that going on, and for the Oakland A's, they wind up having a run given up by Jake Diekman in the seventh inning. Yes, Mano Petit was able to give the team a scoreless eighth, and for the Oakland A's, pair of home runs of their own Matt Chapman and Matt Olson go deep for Chapman. Twelfth home run of the season off of one Yusei Kikuchi, and Kikuchi gives one up to Olson. His 26th home run of the season for Kikuchi. He punches out 12. He has really been able to do a better job with his strikeouts, but does give up those two home runs. Three runs in total over the course of six innings, but for the Seattle Mariners, Paul Seawald and Eric Swanson combined for two scoreless innings, and Kendall Graveman was able to get a save. He goes scoreless, and Swanson and Graveman, both with sub-1 ERA so far this year. So that's how the Seattle Mariners have been able to get the job done. Being able to get the job done on Friday, that'd be the Boston Red Sox. 6-2, the final for Garrett Cole. He has had a tough time with Boston thus far in his last two starts. He has given up at least three runs. Gives up three in five innings in this one, including a home run. Nestor Cortez, fresh off of the COVID list, gives up three runs over the course of two innings, including a home run of his own coming in for cleanup. Justin Wilson was able to give you a scoreless inning, but for the Sox, Rafael Devers was the man that got both of the home runs in this one. 25th and 26th of the season for Eduardo Rodriguez. He was pretty much an opener in this one. Gives up a run and an inning. From there, you wind up getting three innings out of Phillips. Valdez, scoreless. You wind up getting two scoreless innings out of Yaxa Rios. Garrett Woodlock, a scoreless inning. Darwinson Hernandez, a scoreless inning. And Brandon Workman does give up a run in the ninth, but by that time, it was too late for a Yankees team that Went 1 of 9 with the runners in scoring position and stranded 11 men on base. They wound up getting 6 hits. They just couldn't do a whole heck of a lot with them. So the Yankees, now 50 and 46. They have won just 2 games against the Boston Red Sox so far this year. And I believe that they are overall now 2 and 8, might be 2 and 9 against 
the Boston Red Sox. The Padres have been able to own the Miami Marlins all year long, and they did so once again on Friday. 5-2, the final for Joe Musgrove. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings, giving up a home run in the process. Adam Duvall gets his 22nd home run the season, but for the Padres, even though they have used their bullpen for the most innings of any team out there in the National League, they go three scoreless in this one. Mark Melanson, 30th save of the season that leads the league. Scoreless setting from he, Drew Pomerantz, and Pierce Johnson. And for the Padres, Tommy Pham winds up getting his 11th home run the season, then comes off of Zach Thompson, who didn't give a terrible start, not a great one, though. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. John Curtis with two F's, along with Stephen O'Kurt, give you two scoreless innings. Ross Detweiler, who I was seeing on ESPN earlier in the day as being the opener on Saturday. A third of an inning gives up two runs, one of which was earned to heighten his ERA to a 6.25. Zach Pop gave you two outside the bullpen, and you got a scoreless inning out of Luis Madero, so the Miami Marlins having a tough time with it. Now 41-57 and 57 this season. The Baltimore Orioles have been having a rough year, but they take it to the Washington Nationals by a count of 6-1. The Nationals entered into the week. The highest scoring team in the big leagues over the last three days. The lone run that they got in this one, Josh Bell. 15th home run of the season. That comes off of one. Ore Lopez, who, despite the fact that he's lost 12 games so far this year, gave a good start in this one. Four two-thirds innings. He gives up just one run. Paul Fry was able to give you four outside the bullpen. Scoreless Cole Silzer, Tanner Scott. Goodbye for two scoreless innings. And Dylan Tate gives you a scoreless inning. And Pat Valeka, who has not been good at the plate all year long, hitting below the mid-nose line of a 200. His third and fourth home runs of the season. He takes Patrick Corbin deep, and Corbin, not a great start here. He gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of five and a third innings, and then he takes deep Wander. I swear, oh, this guy sucks who gives up one run in one and two-thirds innings. Ryan Harper was able to give you a scoreless inning, lowers his ERA to a 0.54, but no doubt, a rough one there for the Washington Nationals. This was a rough one if you're a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. 6-5, the Cincinnati Reds are able to get the job done as they wind up being able to rally for three runs in the final two innings to be able to get the win for the Cardinals. Relatively solid start yard of Wade LeBlanc. You would like a little bit more length. Four innings gives up three runs. A home run was given up in the process going deep for the Red Legs was Kyle Farmer, eighth home run the season. From there, you wind up getting a squirrel setting out Genesis Cabrera. Adam Miller along Justin Miller. The Millers were able to give you a scoreless inning. Ryan Elsley gives up two runs in an inning, and then Giovanni Gallegos gives up an unearned run, but that was due to his own fielding error, so that might as well be his run. As for the Cincinnati Reds, you wind up having Tyler Molly get the start in this one. Gives up two runs in the course of five innings. He did give up a pair of solo home runs to be able to give up those runs. Paul Goldschmidt, 17th home run the season. Harrison Bader, his seventh, and then from there, you wind up having three runs with no outs given by Edgar Garcia. That was not good as he now has a 13.50 ERA, but the rest of the bullpen able to do their part. As Ryan Hendricks, Tony Santian, Brad Brock, Heath Embry all give you scoreless settings, and for Santian, Brock, and Embry, they all give you at least two strikeouts in their inning of work, so they were pretty darn impressive, and the Reds are trying to claw their way back in the NL Central against the Milwaukee Brewers, but they stay six at back as the Brewers were able to take to the Chicago White Sox by a count of 7-1. For the White Sox, their lone run of the game comes off of an Andrew Vaughn solo home run, his 11th home run of the season. That comes off of Hunter Circle, and we're going to be talking later about all things Milwaukee Bears with Bill Schmidt of Sports Map Radio. As for Lucas Giolito, he wound up having a good start in this one. He didn't deserve the loss. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. He deserved to give the loss to the bullpen, who winds up giving up six runs in the seventh inning. Aaron Bummer was a massive bummer. He gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. Ryan Burr, he gives up three runs in a third of an inning. And for the Brewers, sparking that sixth spot in the seventh inning, how about Tyrone Taylor? Eighth home run of the season. Freddie Peralta did not wind up giving a lot of length in this one. Does give the team four scoreless innings, but then from there, Adrian Hauser 
gets pressed into long relief. Two scoreless innings from him. Brad Boxberger gives you a scoreless inning. Hunter Circlin gives up that solo home run, but you were able to get a scoreless ninth out of Jandelo Gustave, who has yet to give up a run as a Milwaukee Brewers. So that has been pretty darn impressive as the Brewers now 57-41. and 41. So they certainly have been able to get it done there. The Tampa Bay Rays were able to get it done in Cleveland against the Indians, who are soon to be the Guardians. 10-5 the final in this one. The Guardians were not guarding the base pass. As for the Tampa Bay Rays, pair of home runs in this one. Nelson Cruz, 20th home run of the season off of Zach Plesak. And then Nick Wickren, who's been having a terrible year. G-Man Choi is able to go deep off of him for his fifth home run season for Plesak. Six and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And for Wickren, his ERA is off 573. He gives up five runs in a third of an inning. Blake Parker from there, he winds up giving up one run in two-thirds of an inning. And you did have Nick Sandlin give you four outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Good news for the Cleveland Indians. Got a pair of home runs in this one. A pinch hit home run from Daniel Johnson, his second home run of the season. And Jose Ramirez was able to get his 20th as for the Rays. It was Josh Fleming who gets a start. Didn't necessarily give a lot of length. Gives up three runs over the course of four innings. From there, Andrew Kittredge, two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Matt Whistler gives up one run in two innings, and Pete Fairbanks gives up a run in an inning, but for the Rays, this is a team that has been able to do a relatively solid job on the road all year long. They advance their record on the road to 29-21. and 21. A team that was also able to advance their record, that would be the Chicago Cubs, as they wind up taking down the hopeless Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 8-3 to three for the Diamondbacks. They are now 15-56 and 56 over their last 71 games. It has not been going well for them, as for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Dalton Varsha was able to get his third home run of the season. That comes off of Keegan Thompson. That was in the ninth inning when it was way too late as Zach Davies. So I'll start in this one. Gives up two runs in five and a third innings. You wind up having two-thirds of an inning scoreless out of Adam Morgan. And then Keegan Thompson takes care of the final three innings, giving up just a solo run in the process. And Robinson Chirinos able to get two home runs in this game. Second and third of the campaign, Avi Bias was able to take Zach Gallon deep, his 22nd of the season. I don't know about you, but he is feeling 22, and Zach Gallon, he is feeling blue as he gives up a touchdown. Seven runs over the course of four innings, including two homers. From there, Riley Smith gives you a scoreless signing out of the bullpen, and Matt Peacock gives up one of those homers to Robinson Chirinos over the course of three innings, so he was able to do his part, but the Arizona Diamondbacks in general, they just have not been able to do their part all year long. But the Colorado Rockies, they wind up playing an interesting game with the L.A. Dodgers. That is still going on as I do this podcast. I have to post this up by Midnight Pacific. Game just wound up ending in the bottom of the ninth, and it is 6-6, so they are going to be going to extras. But you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. One, Chichi Gonzalez did not necessarily give a great start. Gave up four runs in five innings, and he was taken deep by Justin Turner down for what? 18th home run of the season. Rockies bullpen was able to hold down the fort in the first few innings in which they had to go out there. We don't know what happened in the 10th yet, but Ben Bowden winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Tyler Kinley was able to clean up the sixth inning, though. Justin Lawrence, Michael Givens, Daniel Bart, all able to give you scoreless innings. And for the Colorado Rockies, a team that is averaging right around a half a home run per game on the road and entered into this game with nine road wins so far this year. They had 25 home runs on the road. No other team had fewer than 45. They got three of them. Trevor Story. 12th home run of the season. Elias Diaz was able to get his 8th home run of the season, and Sam Elliott is third. It was David Price's longest start of the campaign. He winds up going 5 and 2 thirds innings, giving up 3 runs, but you can tell that this is a Dodgers bullpen that has been badly taxed. Jimmy Scherfee wanted pitching the 10th inning for this team. You have Darian Nunez giving you one of the third innings. He gives up one of those home runs. Bersuder Gratterall, fresh off the injured list. Not looking so fresh. 964 ERA on the year. Gives up 2 runs while getting 2 outs. Alex Vasil was able to give you a scoreless inning, and Phil Bickford was able to give you an out out of the bullpen, but certainly not what you want if you're the L.A. Dodgers. And if you're someone that has been 
blindly betting overs ever since we wound up seeing the crackdown on some of these sticky substances. It's not necessarily about what you wanted to see. Overall for the year, overs have a little bit of an edge on unders. 700 overs, 688 unders. But if you're taking a look at just the last 30 days, overs are at 161 to 166 unders. So you're seeing a 50.8% clip on the under at this point. And if you're taking a look at favorites, they've been doing spectacularly the last 30 days. 211 and 134. That is a hit rate of 61.2% overall for the year. Favorites are winning at about a rate of 58.9%. 846 and 591 with that Dodgers game pending. Home teams overall winning at a 55.3% rate, 803 and 648. And if you're looking at the last seven days, home teams have been winning at a relatively solid rate, a rate of 57.3%, 200 and 149. And if you're looking just since the All-Star break, so over the last seven days, favorites 50 and 40. So they're starting to have a little bit of a run in home teams. Winning 60.4% of those games, 55 and 36. And since the All-Star break, we've actually seen more unders than overs. 45 unders and 39 overs over the last seven days. So that's where we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now. Now let's take a look at what we're all seeing with the Milwaukee Brewers, the Chicago Cubs, and their possible sell-off, and so much more. And we're going to be diving into that with one of our good buddies out there with Sports Map Radio, Bill Schmidt from the great state of Wisconsin. He's coming up next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as this man might still be recovering from a little bit of a hangover because he is out there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a city that has seen a lot of wins, and they've also seen the Brewers lose two straight to the Kansas City Royals. But with that said, we're not going to focus on that. We've got Bill Schmidt joining the podcast. He does a great job with Sports Map Radio. EOC show Sports Map all night. You're able to catch that from 9 p.m. to midnight out there central time where he is at. If you're looking out here on the West Coast, that is 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. weeknights, Monday through Friday. He also does some great work with the game Milwaukee 97-3 out there. Does some work with the Milwaukee Admirals as well. And to be able to follow Bill Schmidt on Twitter, you're able to follow him at Bill Schmidt Radio. Now, Schmidt is spelled S-C-H-M-I-D. There is no T on it. So be alert of that. And Bill, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, it's always good to be here, man. I appreciate you hanging out and I appreciate you recognizing that I'm a low T kind of guy. No T on the, the end of that nickname. Unless somebody wants to throw me some, it's no T, not low T. But like I said, unless somebody wants to pay me to talk about low T, maybe then I'll decide to pony it up. You know, I'm a cheap date, Greg. There's some passion <laughs> involved. I'll talk about just about anything. <laughs> Absolutely. It is always terrific to be able to get you aboard. And it is great to be able to take a look at this NL Central race because with what the Milwaukee Brewers were able to do coming out of the All-Star break to the Cincinnati Reds, taking that series in Cincinnati, they really do put themselves in the driver's seat in this division. And we've got a great game that's going to be coming up on Saturday, one of the best pitching matchups. In my opinion, we're going to see all year. Corbin Burns going for the Milwaukee Brewers. Carlos Rodon going for the Chicago White Sox. And I do think that this is a pivotal series for both of these teams because both the Brewers and the White Sox have some of the biggest leads that we're finding of any division out there in baseball. And obviously, these are two ace pitchers. And no doubt, whoever winds up losing this game, they're still going to be in great shape in their division. But you got to figure that both of these teams are going to be buyers. And both of these teams are going to be able to identify a little bit more 
of what they might need to be able to get over the hump because while this probably isn't going to be a World Series matchup per se, both of these teams, they should have World Series aspirations with the way that they've been playing to this point. Yeah, no doubt about it. Both teams are class of both of their leagues. And I think the part of it, Greg, that you touched on that, that I think is spot on, if indeed it's a World Series preview or it's not a World Series, all that stuff we can decide into October. We have seen teams across each league over the last couple of years blow significant leads, right? In 2018, it was the Chicago Cubs to Milwaukee. I believe it was a five and a half game lead at the All-Star break that the Cubs had over Milwaukee. They erased that and beat them in a game 163 to come a game away from the World Series and lose into the Dodgers in the NLCS. A couple of years ago as well, they erased another big lead. Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a team that plays better down the stretch. That's historically under Craig Council. His teams have gotten better as the season has gone on. And this team really has been no different, man. And watching the offensive explosion, you could say, they've seen over the last couple of weeks, it's not surprising when you look at a couple of the names, right? But it's surprising when you factor in who is is carrying the burden, right? It's surprising when you see the Brewers at 15, 16 games over 500 and you realize that Christian Yelich is hitting 245, right? Like that's a guy when you see them 15 games over 500 – you imagine as having another MVP caliber season. He just hasn't. However, they've had acquisitions like Omar Narvaez, the former White Sox, who's had a tremendous season this year. Masayil Garcia has been a pretty steadying force in there as well. And it's all changed once Willie Adamas came aboard and they traded some significant assets for him. And I know we'll talk a little bit about it going forward here. But with all that being said, they sit in a great position that this is another one of those series that a win tonight or a win on Sunday doesn't necessarily change how many games you get for that win, but it does give you another measuring stick look. And I think, frankly, it gives another good look for the country at two teams that maybe you're forgetting here in the country's heartland are really real competitors for the pennant in each the American and National League. I agree, as we do have Bill Schmidt does a great job out there in the great city, Milwaukee of Wisconsin, joining me on the podcast. And Bill, when I take a look at the Brewers, What I think is going to be interesting is what they wind up adding at the trade deadline because I do think that they need to go out and get a bat. This is a team that they're currently in the bottom five of the big leagues with batting average. But what I will say is that they just seem to be a different offense whenever Colton Wong is in the fold as opposed to when he's out because he has been injured quite a bit this year. Whenever Colton Mm -hmm. Wong has been in the fold, it feels like the Brewers are averaging about a run per game more when he's out of the fold. They just don't have that guy that's able to get on base, that's able to turn those solo shots into two, three-run homers. So I think that that's really big for them. And what I think is going to be massive about that as well is that the Brewers, in my opinion, if you look at the entire pitching staff, from starting rotation to the bullpen, in my opinion, they've got the best staff in baseball. Devin Williams, Josh Hader are the best eighth and ninth inning duo in baseball. And then you've got Freddie Peralta along with Brandon Woodruff and the man that we're going to be seeing on Saturday in Corbin Burns. I mean, you can put those three up against any other three in baseball, no regardless of health, because the Dodgers, obviously, they're dealing with the Trevor Bauer incident and everything like that. But I mean, even if Trevor Bauer were to be able to pitch in October, I would still actually give a little bit of an edge to the Brewers. The mm-hmm. only thing is being able to get things sorted out with regards to maybe a bat in the middle of the lineup because, as you mentioned, Christian Yelich only six home runs so far this year. Yeah, and that's the part of it. It's been puzzling. Also, I think is a credit to Christian of just how heady and smart of a player and aware of a player he is, knowing that he's struggling with the bat. Look at his on-base percentage, Greg. It's remarkable to see right the around 400. Right? Like the amount of walks that he's drawn this year, realizing 
I can't hit the ball very well, so I might as well be able to get on base and still score some runs and steal some bases. The point you made about Wong is imperative. For when he is on the field, he has been an absolute game wrecker this year. And maybe I underestimated how good of an offensive player he was in St. Louis, or it just flies under the radar because he's so good defensively. He's so pure defensively that that maybe it gets lost in the shuffle. What he also does give them, and I mentioned Adamas a little bit before, is it's one, two, three. And in Craig Council's tenure, that's been a rarity where you know where the top of the order is. And you know what, you know, one, two, three, four, five potentially should be in your lineup. And right now, the one through five of Wong, Adamas, Yelich, Garcia, and Narvaez, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's decent. It would be strengthened mightily. You add in right there in the four spot and bump Garcia down maybe a Chris Bryant, right? Or near that two hole out of Adamas, it's Chris Bryant and Adamas goes down to be your six hitter. I don't know how realistic it is that the Cubs are going to be able or willing to ship out Chris Bryant to the Milwaukee Brewers. They're going to take a King's ransom to get him at least for this rental. But that's a bat that has playoff experience, knows the division and can carry a team for stretches. You mentioned bullpen arms though. The Devin Williams piece is fascinating. He was so good Last year that Greg, people in the city were down to clown with trading Josh Hader. And I thought it was one of the stupidest ideas of all time. And while small market mantra is we got to be able to strike while the iron's hot. You're never going to be able to get more for him. I just wanted to exactly what you just pointed out. I wanted to see if this was the best bullpen in baseball, if you gave Josh Hader and Devin Williams a full 162-game season together healthy to dominate the league. And it's been difficult because Devin hasn't been healthy. He struggled out of spring training, got a little bit of a shortened spring training, had to start and pick up the team late, has battled through a couple of things, went to the IL just a couple of days ago. But when he is on, he is one of the most dynamic guys in the league. You mentioned Josh, and there's not much more you have to say about it. If they're able to add one more lockdown guy in that bullpen and make it a three-headed monster, then I have no qualms about saying they have the best pitching staff in baseball. I think they have the most dangerous three-headed monster in any playoff series, though, that you're going to get into. And you're looking at the playoffs now because, like we said before, they're six and a half games up on the Reds. I think the Reds are the the team that has the best chance to make a run at this Brewers team in the the Central. But you're lining up Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff, guys that get outs in the zone, which is imperative to winning games in the postseason. I think they're a real scary squad for just about anybody that's got to face up with them in the postseason because of those dudes. If they add one more guy into the back end, I'm saying high leverage reliever. It doesn't necessarily have to be Kim Kimbrell because you're going to pay an arm and a leg for that guy. There's going to be other high leverage relievers that are out there, similar to like Kirby Yates was, who was leading the league in saves. You can pick up guys from Baltimore and different cellar dwellers, Colorado, Arizona, you name it. But one more bullpen arm to solidify it with those guys. And then you're really only taking a risk with maybe a sixth or a seventh inning because Woodruff, Peralta, and Burns have now shown they're taking that next step, Greg, where really good pitchers become dominant pitchers and they're throwing six or seven innings every single time out. And I think that that's a difference with the Milwaukee Brewers this year rather than when they made their postseason runs in, say, 2018 and 2019 as well as we know Bill Schmidt joining me on the podcast because the Brewers back then – 
they were only having their starters go three, four innings. And you can tell that at the end of that Dodgers series quite a few years ago in the NLCS, the bullpen just flat out ran out of gas. You were throwing out there Josh Hader trying to get multiple innings out of him night in and night out. And it was just a situation in which they had just amassed too many innings. Now when you've got Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, all giving you six to seven innings, that means that you only need to get two, sometimes three innings out of the bullpen. And I would argue that Brad Boxberger, along with Hunter Strickland, have been incredible pickups for this team. Hunter Strickland is a guy that has had his ups and downs, and Brad Boxberger was pretty much left for dead after he completely failed in Kansas City a few years ago. Both of these guys have been solid. I even take a look at a guy like Miguel Sanchez, a young guy that has come up with the Brewers. He's gotten some appearances. He's looked relatively solid for this team as well. I know that his recent last five games, not necessarily as good as the first couple, but I think that you might be able to get a little bit of something out of him. And I do take a look at the Brewers, and I think that they're in very good standing just because I think that Craig Council has gotten it through that, hey, while I could maybe win a series, perhaps even two with my bullpen, I need these frontline serves to be able to give me six-plus innings, and the Brewers are doing as good of a job of that now as anyone else, especially I feel like a lot of people are forgetting as well the 60-game season. You're going to see arms start to wear down a little bit more. If you've got these guys that are able to go six innings, that is able to preserve your bullpen in the back end, which a lot of teams like the Padres and company are not doing. Not at all. And it's funny you bring up the council part of it because I think Craig is is one of the top four or five managers in the game. And it's not just because I watch him and I cover him every single day, but, but seeing the way that he goes about the day in and day out job of what a modern day manager is, right, Greg? Because it's not when Tony La Russa first came into the business where the front office stays out of my business. This is my locker room. These are my guys. And it's the status quo and you set the tempo. It's not the same. You have to be partners with players and coaches and front office members. And Craig has been able to handle those situations exceptionally well, as well as in years past, he's taken a lot of heat for not allowing starters to go longer into games, deeper into games. And some people were saying that it was council's mantra. I asked him about it one time and and he looked at us and said, guys, I played with Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. I would love to to have Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling go and take the ball for seven and two thirds, right? Seven innings, night in and night out. And a couple of years ago, they didn't trust their guys to do that. But in those years, right, you mentioned 18 and 19 as well. It's interesting to see the maturation of these starters because Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta all in that 2018 season made their major league debuts. Woodruff made his debut in 17, became a a real member and contributing member during that 18 season. But Peralta was the only one that did it in the rotation. Woodruff and Burns were both bullpen guys when they first came into the big leagues, learned how to develop and get guys out at this level. And then you throw them into the rotation and grow it from there. I'm bringing up, you know, different relievers that you could add in here, Greg. I'm also not shutting out the fact that they bring up a couple of their young starting pitcher prospects. Ethan Small was their first round pick a year ago. Guy seems as ready to get into the big leagues as any 23, 24 year old could potentially be started game one of the college world series last year. He's, he's an absolute bulldog. Uh, And then Aaron Ashby, who they came up here and had his first start, his major league debut in a bind, got absolutely brutalized, dismantled, and victimized in the start. I think he gave up six runs to the Cubs in the first inning and ended up not even being able to finish that first inning. They ended up coming back and winning that game, which is remarkable in its own right. To see guys like that get the chance, I could see that being a part of it as well. It fits more into how they've done their business, right, and handled business 
as the organization. And Craig just does a tremendous job of keeping a balancing act of wanting to win every single game, but also understanding, man, he played the game for 15, 16 years at this level. He knows what the 162 game season does to the mind and body. And he's been remarkable at keeping guys fresh. What was incredible about that game that you bring up with Ashby, the Brewers wind up getting down by a touchdown. They wind up winning the game 15-7. to That was yes. one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life, but certainly was entertaining as we do have Bill Schmidt joining me on the podcast. And let's bring up that team out there in the great state of Illinois, the Chicago Cubs. They are going to be having us off. Good news for them is that they should get a couple wins this weekend because they're facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. I actually think that their game on Saturday is going to be tough with Merrill Kelly going, but mm-hmm. what have you really been hearing with regards to this Cubs sell-off? Because what I think a lot of people forget is that Milwaukee is like an hour or so away from Chicago, even a little bit less yep. than that. And I know that you've been hearing from a lot of Cubs fans, probably quite a few of whom are not very happy about this recent stretch of which the Cubs have lost 16 out of 20 games. And it's going to be interesting to see who they wind up keeping because you got to feel like the Cubs are going to have one or two flag bears and they're probably going to be trying to trade away someone like a Craig Kimbrell and someone like that. And I think that it's really going to shape what we wind up seeing in some of these playoff races because a team like the White Sox, a team like the Brewers, two teams that we're going to be seeing do battle on Saturday, you got to figure that they're going to be calling up the Cubs within the next few days. Oh, Craig, I would I would have been on the phone a week ago because as difficult as it is to make trades with interdivision rivals, they're guys that you know. They're teams that you know. They're players that you know. And sometimes it's a devil that you know. You bring up Craig Kimbrell. I tear it with the Cubs sell. And I'll tell you this, couldn't happen to a better team. You line it up with Craig Kimbrell at the top. He should have most of his apartment packed up, right? Like everything should be in boxes. Let the bellhop at the desk know in his building, like, listen, we're going to be getting out of here pretty soon, right? So that should be where Craig Kimbrell at. He's on red alert. Chris Bryant is right there on orange. Probably, honey, let's not buy anything, right? We're not going to be decorating anything because we're most likely getting on out of here as well. Chris Bryant's gone by next week, Friday as well. The two flag bearers that you mentioned are fascinating, and that's going to be Javier Baez or and or Anthony Rizzo. As a Brewer fan, I would do just about anything and everything I could with the stretch run you believe they could be making at trying to go and get Anthony Rizzo. I think he is one of the most exceptional players in the league, one of the best people in the league as well. And for any team that gets him and is trying to compete in the postseason, I think he's going to get a winner. That being said, Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo in the postseason since the 2016 World Series Those three guys are hitting a combined like 150. Those are eye-popping numbers because they've gotten there. They just haven't been able to produce. They haven't been able to win. Lost a couple of one-game playoffs, but just haven't been able to finish. Rizzo's the oldest of the crew, so he probably, in theory, costs less, makes more sense to keep as a guy that can retire a Cub and immediately put the 44 up and retire that number as a world champion. Javi Baez is too young for me to give up on. So if I'm the Cubs... I'm doing anything and everything I can to sign Javi Baez long-term. I'd love to try to keep Rizzo. I don't know what that contract's going to be, and at some point maybe you let him go into free agency and pick where he goes and you can get a compensatory pick. And Chris Bryan is as good as gone. He's going to have to be on the way out. It sounded like he was going to get traded years ago. But the weird part about the Cubs thing is, Greg, they cry poor 
with this situation. And Tom Ricketts was very adamant in saying that when the team had opportunities to win titles, that they would spend an overspend. And then last year, when their team is in the mix to win the division, he comes out and says, yeah, you know, 60 or 70% of our revenue is ticket-based, so we're going to have to take a big step back. And they trade you Darvish right after he finally has a big year for him. So they're trimming salary, and it's a uncomfortable position for, for Cubs fans to be in because 16 is now five years away, and you're starting to trend closer to a decade away that Cubs World Series was. And most of the guys that were on that team, all but maybe one or two, if they're able to keep both Rizzo and Baez, I think they're going to have to pick between one of those two. Pretty much that entire team is going to be gone. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that the Cubs are going to be looking very, very different within the next 10 days. I know that you're going to be covering that. I know that you're going to hopefully be taking a look at another great run out there in the postseason for a Wisconsin-based sports team. Hopefully we get one for the Packers as well. That's my fandom of that great team out there in Green Bay, Wisconsin coming out. And Bill, I know you do a great job over there at Sports Map Radio. You hold it down with 97.3, the game out there in Milwaukee. You do a wide variety of things, including some work with the Wisconsin including some work with the Milwaukee Admirals as well. So love the good people at home. No, they're able to follow you on social media. Just what you've all got going on in general as well. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's at Bill Schmidt Radio is where you can follow me on Twitter. And Instagram's the same. And I usually, I try to put when I'm getting on the air out on there. I do three to seven here in Milwaukee on the game, nine to 12 central time. As you mentioned, seven to 10 for the great people out the 702 and out in the desert. That's when Sports Map All Night fires up. And you find that the free Sports Map Radio app, the game, MKE 97.3. The game is on the free iHeartRadio app. So you can follow along there as well. And Greg, you mentioned it before I get on off of here. I got to ask you one question here. You mentioned your Packer fandom. Is Aaron going to be playing this year? Whew, that is a good question. I think he's going to be playing. Question is, where is he going to be playing? Because mm-hmm. I don't think that the Packers are going to be trading him at all. I think that Aaron is going to be pretty much forced into being a Green Bay Packer, whether he wants to or not. I know that there were the rumors in which he was offered the biggest contract out there in the league to stay a Green Bay Packer. I just think that it's inevitable that the Packers have the leverage and Aaron is going to be winding up a Green Bay Packer. But I say this with... Zero inside sources whatsoever, and frankly, knowing that anything whatsoever can and will happen with that situation. That's my favorite way to put it. I always preface this with, listen, I have no inside information. This is just what I believe, and I believe, and people are laughing at me, Greg. I actually think he's going to show up next week. I think he's going to walk on in and say, fellas, I played my hand. I lost. Let's go try to win a Lombardi trophy and see if we can get to the NFC title game for a third straight year. And you know what? Like a good soldier, like he should be, just show on up and win and dominate like Greg Peterson does here on the podcast. Absolutely. And just like Bill did in this interview as well. Does a terrific job over there with Sports Map Radio. Does a great job out there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin as well. So big thanks to Bill for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time in the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday and a little something you like call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start and now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Bill Schmidt doing a great job over there at Sportsmap Radio. Does a great job 
doing some radio show hosting and producing out there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now a city of champions with what the Milwaukee Bucks were able to do this week. We shall see if the Bucks will be able to have the same fate, but always great to be able to get a fellow Wisconsinite on the podcast. So, big thanks to Bill for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something I like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScordy1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. And for most of these games, we've actually got lines. We've got one or two games that have to be determined starters, but we've got a relatively clean slate today, which I am happy about. And we begin with 901-902 on the banking board. The Chicago Cubs are going to be playing up Sierra Center Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly is going to be going for the D-backs. Alec Mills is going to be on the bump for the Cubs. Currently, we've got no total up pretty much anywhere on this game. A lot of places they want to hold off on a total because of the Wrigley Field wind. It really does impact these totals. I wound up having a total on my personal line of 10.4, so a 10 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over 10 and a half or higher. We'll be taking a look at the under. Looks like wind is going to be blowing out around 12 to 15 miles per hour during the game. A little bit of subject to change there, but now getting to the spread, you've got the Cubs anywhere between minus 143 and minus 148 favorites with the D-backs anywhere between plus 125 and plus 137. Folks, it is a miracle. We have found a spot in which I am willing to take the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, I did not think it could be done, but you take a look at Merrill Kelly. The Arizona Diamondbacks have actually won five out of his last six starts, and the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've been putrid. No offense or buts about it. This is a team that has went 15-57 and 57 in their last 72 games. With that said, Merrill Kelly has had pretty much half, if not more than half, of those wins, and he's been relatively solid. He has given up over the course of his last five starts a grand total of 10 runs, so he's doing a solid job of holding down the fork, giving up three home runs in his last five starts. I will say he is a pitcher that does a little bit better at home than he does on the road. On the road so far this year, across 10 starts, a 5.33 ERA. He has given up 10 home runs in 54 innings, but he's done a good job of being able to limit the walks. Overall this year, he's given up right around 2.2, 2.3-ish walks per nine innings, and goes up against a guy in Alec Mills that he does have a 4-3 and record, but he's not a guy that gets a lot of swings and misses, right around 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. By and large, he's been okay, but he hasn't necessarily been great. He has given up a combined 8 runs in his last 2 starts. You take a look at what Mills has been able to do at Wrigley Field so far this year. A 286 ERA, 4-0 record, so he's been able to do a solid job there. Also as a save because he has been used as both a starter and a reliever, and opponents are doing a good job of being able to hit him. Overall, a 275 batting average, and for the Cubs, I feel like their bullpen numbers are currently very deceiving as this is a team that overall for the year, right around 6th, 7th of the league when it comes to bullpen ERA over the last three days. They've got north of a 5 ERA. Guys like Rex Brothers have not necessarily been able to do the gut job. Trevor McGill has been able to give you a couple innings, but Adam Morgan has had to come in. He has not been great. Craig Kimbrell has been the one then with the Airs and the Diamondbacks. Joe Manette Tipley has been able to give you some good innings, but you wind up throwing in there Matt Peacock, Jake Ferry. These guys have not necessarily been too terrific, but what has been terrific for the years in the Diamondbacks. One, Eduardo Escobar, north of 20 homers, right around 60 RBI. He's taking a 250 for the team, and he, along David Peralta, got a couple other guys like a Josh Ross hitting in that pocket about a 250 to a 260. Paven Smith has been able to 
up his batting average to a 270. So, got a couple guys that are getting on base. You need guys like Josh Van Meter, Dalton Varsho to be able to lift their batting averages of right around the Mendoza line of 200. And for the Cubs, this is a team that they're in the bottom four in the big leagues when it comes to team batting average. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of some of these guys. Matt Duffy, Rafael Ortega, along with Chris Bryant, all in between a 262 and a 275. Anthony Rizzo has right around a 340 on base, but only a 240 batting average. 11 homers, you expect a little bit more out of him. Javi Baez has went deep 22 times so far this season, but the big thing for with him is that he just doesn't necessarily walk a lot, just a 294 on base. Jason Award has not necessarily been great out there in the outfield recently for this team either, so you've got some issues there with Merrill Kelly. I do think that he's going to come in. He's going to be able to give this Arizona Diamondbacks team a relatively solid start, and I think that Alec Mills doing for a little bit of regression. He's a fly ball pitcher with the wind blowing out. I think that that's going to be a bad combination. Like I said, Dan Afri, you're going to be taking a look at the under 10 or lower. going to be taking a look at the over end with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I set them as a plus 112 underdog, seeing them north of a plus 130 here. We're going to be taking the D-backs in a very, very stunning upset, and then with the total, that'll be to be determined by what winds up getting lined in the morning. 903-904 on the bank where the Atlanta Braves hit the road face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Vince Velasquez is going to be going for the Phillies. Drew Smiley is on the bump for the Bravos. Braves are finding themselves as slight underdogs here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and seeing as bad as minus 105, seeing as good as a plus 103. And with the fills, anywhere between minus 108 and minus 115 is your price there. Total on this game is 9.5. With the 9.5, unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 110. With Vince Velasquez, he has been relatively okay at home. It's just one of these situations in which he gets you with quite a few strikeouts, right around 9.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. Just sometimes the hard contact and the walks really catch up with him. A 404 ERA when he's been in Philly so far this year. In Philadelphia, he's given up right around four walks per nine innings when he's on the road. That's more like six. Opponents are getting a 209 off of him in Philadelphia, 244 on the road. So you can tell he's a vastly different pitcher on the road. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings whenever he's been in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Smiley. Probably doesn't deserve the 7-3 record that he has. Now, he's been 5-2 and two in nine starts with a 434 ERA on the road. I think that this is built on sand a little bit. He's giving up a home run and a half per nine innings. Opponents are getting a 266 off of him. He's getting in the neighborhood of about 7-7.5 seven seven strikeouts per nine innings, and he's back to buy a bullpen that, quite frankly, is not great. Jesse Chavez is coming. He's been solved for the team, but Shane Green has been a hot mess ever since he came off the injured list. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Edgar Santana recently. Josh Shaman has been able to rein it in a little bit, but you've had a lot of mixing and matching there, and with the Philadelphia Phillies, well, there's just no trusting in this bullpen whatsoever. Ranger Suarez has actually been very good as a long guy for this team, but then you've got someone like an Añal de los Santos with a 70-yard counter Brogna. He's been able to give you a couple okay innings. I don't have a lot of faith in he, along with Brandon Kitzler, but with the Philadelphia Phillies, I do think that this is an offense that is going to be able to get ramped up against a guy in Drew Smiley that is known for giving up the long ball. Andrew McCutcheon along with Bryce Harper, a pair of guys with 15-plus homers now with Harper 14 of his 15 home runs going into yesterday had been over the sole variety. I think that that's going to turn around a little bit. And with McCutcheon, 350 on base. Reese Hoskins, he's only hitting a 230, but a 320 on base. 21 home runs going into yesterday. Alec Bohm, after a really bad start to the year, he seems to be picking it up. And then you've got Ronald Torres along with Luke Williams hitting between a 275 and a 285. And Gene Segura being back as big as well. He's hitting well above a 300. And then for the Atlanta Braves, they do wind up picking up Jack Peterson. But I almost wonder if this is not necessarily much of an upgrade to guys like Guillermo Radia, Abraham Almonte, a pair of guys with north of a 340 on base, and a, guy, a pair of guys that have been very solid for this team. Steven Vogt at the catcher spot is not necessarily been great.
great. I actually liked what they were getting out of Jonathan Lucroy when they were playing him. He has not been seen recently. You do have Ozzy Albies along with Freddie Freeman. A pair of guys with north of 490 slugging percentages with Freeman. He has been able to go deep north of 20 times so far this year. Ozzy Albies entered into yesterday with 63 RBI. Austin Riley sitting at 275 with a 360 on base. He's been able to get a quite a few homers out of Dansby Swanson, but only a 235 there as well. A little bit of an interesting spot. I just don't have a lot of faith here in Drew Smiley. Vince Velasquez doesn't necessarily elicit confidence either, but wound up saying the Phillies has a minus 124 favorite and made the sole 9.6. So we're going to be going over along with the Bills. 9 to 5, 9 to 6 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres hit the road face off against the Miami Marlins. As of right now, on the betting board, it is to be determined for Miami. I'm seeing Ross Atweiler. What that means is that you're going to be getting a bullpen game here for the Miami Marlins. And Ryan Weathers is going to be going for the Padres. Looks like DraftKings has a number of minus 135 on the Padres, plus 115 on the Miami Marlins, and your total is 8. Under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. In this instance, I'd be taking the over because I set this personally at 8.7, and I mean, the Padres more like a minus 185 favorite. With the Miami Marlins, we saw the last time that Ross Settler was used as an opener. It was terrible. He gave up five runs in the first inning, and the team got completely destroyed. Meanwhile, the Ryan Weathers, what I will say for him is that it seems like one Whenever the Padres use him in a big dosage of, I would say, north of four innings, he winds up having an ERA that's north of four. When they use him for three innings or fewer, his ERA just shrinks dramatically. It's something that is very strange in my opinion, but it certainly is the case with him. He's been giving up right in the pocket of about three walks per nine innings. Weathers is not a high strikeout guy. He's only giving you right around six and a half, seven strikeouts per nine innings. And then with Ross Atwiler, well, he's given up eight home runs in 35 and two-thirds innings, and he's got a 6.06 ERA. So that's just absolutely spectacular right there. And then you've got to figure that from there, you're probably going to be using Anthony Bender, David S., Stephen O'Gert, guys like this. And, well, that's not necessarily too great. Then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. You know what else is not too great? The offense of this team. You've been able to get a pair of guys to be able to give you some good contact with the team. Asus Aguiar along with Adam Duvall. A pair of guys from north of 60 RBI. Duvall, 21 homers going into yesterday. Asus Aguiar, 17. And with Aguiar, 325 on base. That's been solid. And then you've got the Marte Parte of Starling Marte, a 390 on base, 290 batting average. But quite a few guys leaving something to be desired. Joe Panic, ever since he went from the Blue Jays to the Miami Marlins, has been a hot mess. He, Sende Leon, you're able to throw in there someone like a John Birdie, Izan. Diaz, Monte Harrison, all these guys are hitting at 225, or Lord Miguel Ross is hitting at 270, though, and then you take a look at the Padres. Every one of the position players in the starting lineup, aside from Hassan Kim, wound up entering into the game yesterday with north of a 320 on base. That is incredibly impressive. You got Fernando Tatis Jr. out of the fold yesterday as well. He should be returning. He's approaching 30 home runs so far this season. You've got Will Myers, Eric Osmer, Trent Grisham, Tommy Pham, all in between a 260 and a 270. And then we take a look at Mr. Manny Machado hitting a 275, 66 RBI, and 16 home runs entering into yesterday. This is a man that ever since the beginning of the month of June has been on an absolute tear. He's been hitting right around a 320 ever since that point. And if you take a look between the months of June and July, 10 of his home runs have come in that pocket size. It's been good. Jay Cronenworth has been solid. And for the Padres, they've used their bullpen more than pretty much any other team out there in the National League, but they've got one of the top bullpen ERAs out there in the National League as well. They're in the top five with that regard. Emilio Pagan has been hit around a little bit recently, but True Pomerantz, a sub-two ERA. Miguel Diaz has been able to give you some length when you've needed it, along with his Belkers. Matt, Mark Melanson, right now leading the league in saves, and with the Miami Marlins going with the bullpen game, just can't take a look at them if you wind up giving me a minus 135 
75 with batteries, I'll take that all day. And like I said, set this all at 8.7, so as long as I'm getting lower than a 9, I'm going to be taking this over along with the batteries. And a 7908 on the bang board, the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are in a Cincinnati. They're going to be playing also the St. Louis Cardinals. The Woodford, John Woodford, is going to be going for the cards. Luis Castillo is on the bump for the Red Legs. Dolan's game is 9.5. With a 9.5, you're finding the under any warp team minus 110 and minus 125. Over is any warp team minus 110 and plus 105. If you're looking at the Red Legs, any warp team minus 180 and minus 181. Meanwhile, with the guards, any warp team plus 155 and plus 166. Woodford has actually been a guy that, in my opinion, has been a little bit underrated. He wound up getting a win in his last start, which is very good. He has been giving up the deep ball a little bit. He's given up right in the pocket of about 1.4 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine, that is something that's hovering right around a 4.1 as well. So, not necessarily too terrific there, but he's done a good job of just being able to hold down the fort in general. And after just an absolutely wretched start for Luis Castillo, I mean, this is a man that in the first month or two of the season, it was absolutely brutal. He had an ERA in the month of May of 8. In the month of April, it was a 6. But you take a look ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's got a sub-2 ERA. He has really been able to rein it in. He has given up a grand total of two home runs since the beginning of the month of June, and that is a cross-sign start, so this is not a small sample size now. I will say four of those starts wound up coming against the Milwaukee Brewers, but still, he has been able to do a good job, and overall for his career, he's just been significantly better in Cincinnati than he has been on the road. This is a guy that, when he hits the road, he just doesn't necessarily have a lot of command, and he doesn't have a lot of command in general. He's still giving you right around four walks per nine innings, but he has been significantly better recently, which is big, because this is a Reds bullpen that you don't have a lot of faith in. RJ Alaniz is someone that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Brad Brock has actually been halfway decent for this team. You have Sean Doolittle who's starting to rein it in a little bit. Prior to the All-Star break, Josh Osich was giving this team some good innings. That's not the case. And for the Cardinals, their bullpen has all of a sudden went sideways as well. Alex Reyes has been their most reliable reliever, but even he is showing some cracks in the armor right now. You've got Giovanni Gallegos along Genesis Cabrera. Bit of guys with sub-3-3 ERAs, but they have not necessarily been themselves recently. Ryan Elsley has actually been a little bit better. And then we take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. This is an offense that they have just not been scoring a lot in general. This is a bunch of which they've been doing a good job of being able to hold down the fort as well, but they wound up entering into yesterday having scored three runs or fewer in five out of their last seven games. Got a lot of guys for the St. Louis Cardinals that do a good job of being able to reach base. As you've got Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Harrison Bader, Tommy Edmond, all in between a 255 and a 273. And for O'Neill and Nolan Arenado, these two guys entered into yesterday with right around a combined 36 home runs. Paul Goldschmidt has been able to rein it in a little bit more, but you've also got Yadier Molina, who's been able to do a good job at the catcher spot. You can tell that he is aging a little bit. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they've been dealing with not having Nick Cassianos in the fold, and that is absolutely massive for them. Jesse Winker has been terrific. He's got a 370 on base, and if you take a look at the Reds, you've got Winker, Trevor Stevenson, Tucker Barnard, Joey Votto, Aristides Aquino, all with between 350 and 370 on bases. So these guys have been solid. Jonathan India, right around a 400 on base. He has been able to bust out for the team, but I think that not having Nick Cassianos is certainly going to be hurting this team a little bit, and I wound up saying the Reds as more around a minus 164 favorite. I would have needed a plus 164 to be able to take a shot on 
the St. Louis Cardinals. We have barely gotten there with the plus 166, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. And with this total, set it at 9.3. I did downgrade the Reds' offense a little bit for not having Nick Cassianos in there, so we're going to be diving under to go along with Mr. Woodford and company with the Cardinals. 909-910 on the bank board. The Pittsburgh Riders have the road face-off against the San Francisco Giants. Kevin Gausman is going to be going for the Yantes. William Cano is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. As the biggest favorite on the board, the Giants are finding themselves anywhere between minus 245 and minus 255. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Buccos, you're walking the plank to anywhere between plus 205 and plus 220. Kevin Gosman is right now, in my opinion, the Cy Young Award winner out there in the National League. Tell Jacob DeGrom winds up coming back because he has been able to do it time and time again all year long for the San Francisco Giants. Now, lasted just three innings in his last start against the LA Dodgers, but despite having a little bit of a clunker there, he's given up .8 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine is sub three, a buck 84 ERA. He's actually been a little bit worse at home than he has been on the road. And gas, his home ERA is a 2.25. Oh no, I think that he's given up one run or fewer. In and now five out of his last six home starts. It might be two runs or fewer, but he has been amazing. And opponents are a buck thirty-three off of him in San Francisco, and he's going up against a Pittsburgh Pirates team that they're towards the bottom of pretty much every offensive category right now. You've got two guys who are doing a great job of being able to reach base for the Pittsburgh Pirates: Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier. They have guys with the right around three eighty-five on base. They're both hitting above a three hundred. And for Brian Reynolds, he is the only guy with more than ten home runs on this entire team. Gregory Palanco has been able to give you a couple bombs. He's hit for ten, but he, Eric Gonzalez. Kaye Tom, Kevin Newman, list goes on and on. Jared Oliva. These guys are all in a 225 or lower. You've actually been able to get quite a bit of something out of John Nagowski, who's come over from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's been able to reach base, but then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. Buster Posey's bagging the fold. North of a forearm base, he's hitting a 325. Got quite a few guys hitting in that pocket of between a 270 and a 275, highlighted by Donovan Solano along Steven Duger. Darren Ruff has been able to give you good at-bats as well. You've got Thario Estrada, who's been able to hit a 333 for the team. Brandon Crawford is currently on the injured list along with Brandon Bell as well, but despite that, Mikey Stromsky has stepped up, 16 homers, right around a 340 on base, so he has been good, and the San Francisco Giants bullpen has been very good as well. Zach Liddell is giving you some very good innings. Jay Jackson, who I believe was pitching in the Nippon Baseball League out there in Japan, he has come back to the States, he has looked very good for the team. Dominique Leon has a buck 29 ERA, Jake McGee has been up and down, but he's been able to give you some good innings from for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Kyle Crick, one of their best relievers, he is currently on the injured list. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of someone like a Kyle Keller, Richard Rodriguez, Jason Shreve. These guys have been solid, but for William Crow, I just have zero faith in him whatsoever. You take a look at him, he's just been getting tattooed on a night-in and night-out basis. He's giving up just under two home runs per nine innings, a 6-12 ERA on the road. That balloons to a 6-67. He has allowed opponents to hit a 2-88 off of him whenever he's been on the road, and well, the recent form, it's not necessarily too terrific. You take a look at his last four starts. He has given up at least two runs in all four of them. He has given up four runs in two of them. Over his last four starts, he has given up a combined five home runs, and he has given up at least two walks in every one of them, lasting five and a third innings or less in every one of them. So this is a situation in which we're going to be taking a look at the Giants on the run line. Currently, you're finding that run line price at right around a minus 120. Very comfortable taking that. I think the Cosman is going to be able to hold down the Pirates, and I think the Giants go over all by themselves because with this Giants team, they are one of the best offenses out there in baseball, contrary to popular belief. So we're going to be going over to go along with the Giants' run line. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the Colorado Rockies on the road facing off against the L.A. Dodgers. 
Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers. Kyle Freeland is going to be on the bump for the Rockies. Rockies are finding themselves as big underdogs here. And we're between A plus 210 and A plus 215. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Antes, and we're between minus 237 and minus 260, 8.5 to 9 is your total. The 8.5 over juice is minus 120. The under is even. On the 9, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 130. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 110. And this is a situation which I needed a plus 228 or better to be able to take a look at the Colorado Rockies. If you're looking at a run line price here of the LA Dodgers. I am currently seeing that right around a minus 120. I am very comfortable taking that because with Kyle Freeland, he is someone that throughout his career has pitched a little bit better at Coors than he has on the road, and I do give Kyle Freeland some credit. After being just absolutely atrocious to begin the year in his first five starts, he had a north of 9 ERA. He has been able to rein it in a little bit. Still, he's giving up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings. That is not going to cut it. Right around 3.4 walks per nine innings. You take a look at his last start against the Dodgers. That was at Coors. He wound up giving up three runs over the course of six innings and to his credit, I mean, he has been significantly better recently. He has given up a combined seven runs in his last five starts, but you just have that fear that the gentleman that wound up having a 7.23 ERA in the month of June is going to be coming back out. And the only reason why it was that low is because he wound up having two very good starts to end that month. So there is that aspect of it. Then with Tony Gonsolin, he's pretty much an opener plus for the Dodgers. He has won north of four innings just once so far this year. The good news with him is that he has given up one one run or fewer in seven out of his eight appearances. So that is something that you're able to hang your hat on now. With Gonsolin, he has given up four home runs in his 28 and a third innings. And he has given up 19 walks in that time as well. But he's generating a little bit over 10 punch outs per nine innings. And this is a Dodgers bullpen that going into their series against the San Francisco Giants over the last 30 days had the second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues now. Kenley Jansen is starting to fail this team. And it is really bad. But you probably aren't going to need them because the Rockies are probably going to get destroyed. With the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that at home hitting right around at 275. On the road, they're hitting at 20. You really don't have too many guys that are in north of a 250 when they are away from Coors. C.J. Crone has 11 out of his 14 home runs currently at Coors Field so far this year. Trevor Story has been able to travel a little bit home to road. Charlie Blackman as well. These guys are in above a 241 over there away from Coors, but really past that, you're seeing a precipitous fall off with the team. And then we take a look at the L.A. Dodgers. Got a whole bunch of guys that are able to get on base for you. They have been dealing with a couple of injuries. Mookie Betts has been out of the fold for quite a while. As we know, Corey Seager, he is still going to be out, but despite that in the starting lineup yesterday, Will Smith, Justin Turner down for one, Chris Taylor, A.J. Pollock, all with at least 13 home runs. All of these guys hitting at least a 260. Pollock and Taylor hitting a 277. Albert Pujols has been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers. Now, Billy McKinney being in the fold, that's a little bit concerning. And Cody Bellinger, he's still hitting a buck 52. You got to feel like that's going to rise up. But you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, that bullpen might be able to help them rise it up as well. As you've got a lot of guys that are less than trustworthy for them. Michael Givens coming out of the bullpen is very good. He's off the injured list. Justin Lawrence throws 100 miles an hour, hasn't been able to rein it in. He's got right around a 60. Zach Roscup, I believe, was pitching in Japan last year. He wound up entering into yesterday with a 2070 ERA. Tyler Kinley has not necessarily been too terrific for this team either. So I do take a look at this spot with the Dodgers actually getting some surprising results out of guys like Phil Vickford along with Victor Gonzalez and company. I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to pile up the run. So I'm going to be taking them on the run line in this spot. Also wound up saying the total 8.3. I do think that Freeland is going to be able to give you a little bit of something. I think that Gonsolin and company going to hold down a Colorado Rocky team that is averaging 2.8 runs per game on the road so far this year. So taking the under along the Dodgers run line. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The New York Yankees hit the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Neavaldi is going to be going for the Sox. 
Jameson Dion is going to be going for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as underdogs in this spot. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 141. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Red Sox, find them anywhere between minus 150 and minus 152. Nine is your total. Overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even and minus 115. And for Jameson Dion, you've got to be taking a look at the home and road splits. Now, I do recognize the fact that he has been better recently on the road, but you take a look at Jameson Dion, and home he's been very good. In Yankee Stadium so far this year, Jamison Tyon, 326 ERA, 4-1 record across 11 starts. Has given up 10 home runs in 58 innings, but you're able to live with that. On the road, opponents are going to get 298 off of him. He is giving up, and I kid you not here, 2.4 home runs per 9 innings. He is allowing on a per 9 innings basis right around 2.7 walks per 9, and his ERA is a 720. Nathan Evaldi, meanwhile, he's done a great job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. 19 starts so far this year. He has allowed five home runs across 108 and a third innings, so he's done a fantastic job with that regard. And pitching at Fenway, that is actually really, really hard to do. He's backed up by a relatively solid bullpen. Darwin's and Hernandez has been very solid. Now, I do think that a little bit of regression is going to be able to come in for he, along someone like a Garrett Woodlock, who's got like a 1-5 ERA. Hero Cousins Hanamoto has been solid as well. And for the Yankees, good news for the team is that reinforcements have come back into the bullpen. Jonathan Lewiska, he was activated off of the COVID-19 List along with Nestor Cortez, so that is good. Alberto Breu is able to give you a couple innings. Aroldis Chavin has been all over the place recently, but you do take a look at this Yankees lineup, and this is a lineup that is starting to get a little bit better. They should be getting back Aaron Judge relatively soon. He was not in the lineup yesterday, so that meant that you were roughing it a little bit. You've got out there guys like Chris Gittins, Brett Gardner, Ryan Lamar. Lamar was hitting a 273 going into yesterday. That was due to a very small sample size. Rudnado Dora is hitting a 225, and he just does not walk at all. DJ LeMay has been solved for the team, but you are missing quite a bit with the team. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, most of your normal guys are out there. They are still looking to get a little bit more out of Jaron Duran. He was able to get his first career home run earlier in the week in that series against the Blue Jays. Someone that I do like, he's going to take a little bit of time to develop, though. Alex Verdugo, Rafael Devers, in between a 275 and a 280, though, with Devers. 24 homers, 74 RBI going into yesterday. J.D. Martinez along Xander Bogarts. North of 15 home runs apiece for these guys. Both of these guys hitting above a 300 run for Christian Vasquez in between a 250 and a 260 as well. Christian Arroyo has been a little bit banged up, but I take a look at this spot. I do think that the Boston Red Sox should be a relatively sizable favorite. I set them as a minus 167. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Red Sox, because I do think that they're going to be able to pile up some runs. Seeing that right around a plus 120-ish in a lot of spots, I needed at least a plus 110 to be able to take it. So at plus 120, feel good about that. Said this all 9.8 as well. So we're going to be taking the over along with that Red Sox run line. 9.15, 9.16 on the bang board. You've got the Walker, Texas Rangers in the road face off against the Houston Astros. Framber Valdez is going to be going for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Kyle Gibson is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Rangers are finding themselves as big underdogs. Any 14 plus 165 and a plus 174. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Walker, Texas Rangers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 186 and a minus 195. Toss game is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 minus 110. DraftKings currently has a road 8.5 with the over and under both at minus 110. And this is a spot in which I certainly wish I was out there on the East Coast because I set this all at 7.8. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. And I needed at least a plus 157 to take a shot on the Rangers. So I'm going to be taking a look at doing that. The Rangers have actually had quite a bit of success in Houston the last few years. And I do feel like Houston is a team that they have quite a few letdowns at home. We all recall that sweep that they wanted taken at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles. They lost a game that they shouldn't have against the Cleveland Indians earlier in the week as well. And I will say for Framber Valdez, 
because he has been pretty rock solid for this team. He has been able to give them innings upon innings so far this year. 5-2 record. He has a lot right around 1.1 home runs per 9 innings. The walks per 9 are concerning. That's more around 3.5-ish, and he does have right around a 3.67 home ERA, but by and large, he's been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort for this team, and he's backed up by a bullpen that, in my opinion, is ascending a little bit. It was a little bit rough at the beginning of the year, but Brian Abadeu has been able to give you a couple good innings. Austin Pruitt is a guy that I have no trust in whatsoever, but Ryan Presley has been solid. Ryan Stanek has been able to give this team some good innings recently. Then you take a look at the Texas Rangers, and they actually do have a couple guys they do like. Ian Kennedy has been good for this team. Taylor Hearn has certainly had his ups and his downs, but Dennis Santana Spencer Patton. These guys are able to give you a little bit of something. And for Kyle Gibson, 286 ERA, and he's done a great job of keeping the ball in the yard. Right around .75 home runs per nine innings. Now, he's been a little bit better at home than he's been on the road. On the road to nine starts, a 406 ERA, but he's still only given up five home runs in 51 innings on the road. Opponents are getting a 247 off of him. Not much of a swing and miss guy. He's getting fewer than seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but he's done a good job of being able to hold it down. And for the Texas Rangers, they do have the element of a pair of guys that are able to take you deep as Adolis Garcia, Longjoy Yellow, entered into yesterday yesterday with a combined 46 home runs between the two of them. Now, both of these guys have gone cold recently for Garcia. Right around six bombs over the last two months for the team for Joey Gallo. Ever since the All-Star break, he has not been able to get going, but got a sense that he's going to be able to get a little bit of something in. Got a lot of guys hitting in that neighborhood of about a 220 to a 230 for this team. Jose Trevino has been a little bit banged up. Jonah Heim, David Dahl, Andy Ibanez, Charlie Culverson all are in that fold. Nick Solak is someone that has been hovering around there all year long. Now, Nate Lowe, he has been able to hit right around 250. His on-base has been very soft for the team. Isaiah Kinnear falafa has been able to hit at 255 as well. And then you take a look at this Houston Astros team. You're still without Alex Bregman, but Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel. All inning at least at 272 going into yesterday. All these guys, aside from Michael Brantley, at least 10 home runs. And if you throw out there, Yoli Gurriel. So Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, along with Altuve, all with at least 16 home runs. And it's pretty darn impressive. Miles Straw is a speedy guy that's able to hit right around at 260 for the team. He has been able to do a solid job. Now, the catcher spot in general with guys like Jason Castro, along with Martin Maldonado, that's a little bit of a dead bad spot. But by and large, you've got a very explosive Houston Astros lineup. But I do think that Kyle Gibson is going to do a good job of being able to calm down these bats. I think that the Texas Rangers are doing a better job with their bullpen as well. So I'm going to be taking the under in this spot. And I'm going to take the plus price here with the Rangers. 917-918 on the bang board. It is the Tampa Bay Rays in the road to face off against the Cleveland. Indians. John Carlos Mejia is going to be going for the Windians. To be determined is on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. We've got no numbers up on this game. I can tell you right now, I was seeing Rich Hill a little bit earlier. And if it would have been Hill versus John Carlos Mejia, I would have been saying the Rays as right around like a minus 155-ish favorite. You take a look at John Carlos Mejia, and he has not been good. He has given up on a per nine innings basis, right around two home runs per nine. His walks per nine that is hovering right around a four-ish 7.53 ERA. When he came out of the bullpen, he wasn't necessarily too bad. They elevated to a starter from out of necessity. In four out of his last five starts, he has given up at least four runs. He's given up six runs in three of them. So there is that. And in his last five starts, he has given up a combined six home runs. He has given up at least two walks in each out of his last four starts. He has went four and a third innings or fewer in each out of his last three. I could just keep going on and on and on. Now the good news is he is backed up by a relatively solid bullpen. James Karinchek, Emmanuel Classe, Brian Shaw. These guys have been solid. Nick Wickren has had a really bad year for this team. But you take a look at the Tampa Bay race. They've just got more 
firepower in general when it comes to the bullpen. Josh Fleming has not necessarily been the greatest starter. He went for them yesterday, and J.P. Fire Eisen is currently on the injured list, but Andrew Kittrich has been able to do a good job for the team. Chris Mazza is someone that I need to see it to believe it out of him, but Pete Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, these guys have been rocks for the team for a few years. Pete Fairbanks, after a little bit of a rough go of it about a month or so ago, he's been able to rein it in. Call McKee was able to give you multiple innings as well. And then you take a look at the Tampa Bay race. They acquire Nelson Cruz, and that is huge. He is approaching 20 home runs. He is hitting right around at 290 for the team, and that's big because he was the only guy in the starting lineup yesterday that entered into the game with north of a 260 batting average, but I will say this for the race. Not a lot of guys like a Brandon Lau, like a Mike Zanino. They're hitting below a 225, and these two guys have combined for right around 40 home runs so far this year. Their on-base percentage is 100 points better than their batting average. You've got a guy like a Yandy Diaz hitting a 260, but a 380 on base. Austin Meadows he has been able to supply 16 bombs, 240 batting average, but a 330 on base. Then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. You've actually been able to get a little bit of something out of this lineup. Framil Reyes, Jose Ramirez, along with Ahmed Rosario, you're able to throw in there Ernie Clement as well. All these guys are in between a 245 and about a 265 for Reyes. He's going deep once every 12 to 13 at bats. Jose Ramirez, he's been able to provide 19 bombs so far this year himself. So he's been able to do a solid job. Harold Ramirez, he's hitting a 280 for the team now. Yu Chang, Austin Edges, a couple others. They do need to pick it up with the batting average, but I do think that the Tampa Bay Rays just have the Cleveland Indians outgunned in this spot. This is a spot in which I'm probably going to be taking a look at a 9.5 or lower with regards to an over 10 or higher, I'd be probably taking a look at the under just because I do think that the race, a team that's averaging more than five runs per game on the road, one of the best road scoring teams out there in the big leagues, going to be able to just hit around John Carlos Meehan. This is an Indians bullpen that's getting taxed, but check back in the morning my Twitter feed at JRS41 as we need to figure out a little bit more about the what the Rays are going to be doing before I can give you anything set there. 919-920 on the bang board. The LA Angels hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Twins. Patrick Sandoval is going to be on the bump for the Angels. Angels are finding themselves as underdogs here. You're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 110 and a plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between a minus 130 and a minus 124 is your price there. Your Trollhouse game is 9. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even a minus 110. For Jose Barrios, throughout his career, he's had an ERA that's been about a point lower at home than it has been on the road, but you take a look at him so far this year, and he's really been able to rein it in on the road. 7-4 record overall, 369 ERA. His strikeouts per 9, that's hovering right around a 9.7 at home and road, a 370 home ERA, 368 road ERA. So, pretty much identical numbers for him. Opponents are a 211 off of him in Minnesota, and then you take a look at Patrick Sandoval. This is someone that has actually been relatively solid. 2-4 record doesn't speak to the fact that he's got a 386 ERA, and on the road, 396 ERA. Certainly isn't too much of a fall. Has given up 3 home runs at 25 innings, 9 walks as well. Nothing great, nothing terrible. And then, backed up by a bullpen that well, some of the long relievers are not necessarily so great. You've got Dylan Bundy along with Jose Quintana, pair of failed starters, Junior Guerra, guy with an ERA that's hovering right around a 5. Mike Myers has not been great. Andrew Wants, who they brought up from the AAA level, he tore it up down there. I actually do like him. And then you've been able to have Rossi Iglesias do a good job of being able to close out games. And for the Minnesota Twins, Alex Colomay just continues to be a big, giant waste of money. You expect more than right around a 470 ERA. That's about the same ERA that killed Theobar right now as Ansel Robles is someone that has an ERA hovering right around 425. He's been a tad bit of a disappointment. Danny Colombe has actually been very good for the team. Then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. They're gutted a little bit with their lineup with the fact that Nelson Cruz is no longer in the fold. Now, you do have quite a few guys. They're in between, I would say, about a 245 to a 260-ish. Ore Palonco, Josh Donaldson. You're able to throw in there someone like a Nick Gordon as well. So, these guys have been rock solid. And for Palonco, along with Josh 
Donaldson throwing there, Miguel Sano as well. Between 14 and 15 home runs entering into yesterday, you have been able to get back Max Kepler that is going to be able to give this team a little bit of something. Mitch Garver has been returning a little bit for them. He has been in and out of the fold. And then you take a look at the Angels. You've got that man, Shohei Otani. He's been absolutely impressive. He wound up getting the day off yesterday along Jared Walsh as well. So they were going with a little bit of a ghostly lineup yesterday as you wind up having north of 55 home runs and a pair of guys hitting a 280 out of the fold. But the good news is they got back Justin Upton yesterday. A guy that's averaging about a home run every 17 or so at bats. He's got a non-base percentage that's hovering right around 350. Has not been seen for about a month. So that is good news for the team. Phil Gosselin, Jose Iglesias in between a 280 and a 290 for the team. David Fletcher, since the month of June began, is hitting about a 350. He has been able to give the team a little bit of something. Brandon Marsh in a small sample size has been okay as well. So you take a look at this spot. I do think that Mr. Barrios is going to be able to lend a very good start for the Minnesota Twins. Set them as more around a minus 170-ish favorite. I don't understand the love for Patrick Sandoval. Now the Minnesota Twins are certainly a team that have been underachieving, but getting them on the run line at a plus 145 that is very appealing to me. I'm going to be taking that. Also wound up saying the total at 8.9, so I'm going to be taking the under along with Jose Barrios and company on the run line. 921-922 on the banking board. The Kansas City Royals are going to be playing us to the Detroit Tigers in my New York Post play today. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Carlos Hernandez is going to be on the bump for the Kansas City Royals. Royals are finding themselves anywhere between minus 119 and minus 130 favorites. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Tigres, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 120. Total on this game is 10. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110. Someone needs to tell me why Casey Mize is an underdog because the New York Post today is the Detroit Tigers on the money line. Casey Mize, ever since the first month of the year, has been money for this team. And if you're taking a look at the total in this one, in Casey Mize's last 10 road starts, one of them have won over. So he has been an under machine for you despite the fact that the over is 2-0-1 in his last three starts. If you're taking a look overall at his last 18 Four starts have went over, so he has been an under-machine for you guys, and he is someone that so far this year has been giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but you want to be taking a look at the recent form. He has given up a combined five runs in his last four starts, two home runs, and three walks in those starts as well. Not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy. He's only giving you right around 7.4 punch-outs per nine innings, but by and large, he's done a great job of holding down the fourth. He has lessened the walks. That's right around 2.4, 2.5 per nine innings so far this year. Then you take a look at Mr. Carlos Hernandez. He has made four career starts, and in starts, he has an ERA that is north of a 7.5. He has been getting hit around in those starts, giving up right around four home runs, and that is over the course of 14 innings, so that has not necessarily been too terrific, and you take a look at him so far this year, he's given up more than six walks per nine innings. It's nothing that is necessarily impressive, and in his last 10 pitching appearances, the Kansas City Royals are 2-8. and eight. You take a look at the Detroit Tigers team, all of a sudden the offense has life. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, they're averaging right around 4.9 runs per game, and you've been able to notice a little bit of a power surge with this team. Robbie Grossman, Eric Koss, Jonathan Sco. All entered into yesterday, hitting between 15 and 17 home runs apiece for the season. Now, you've got no solo bases whatsoever on this team, but you've got Akil Badu, along Jamir Candelario, Derek Hill, all these guys hitting between a 265 and a 275 for the team. Miguel Cabrera has been able to hit a little bit of something, as well as Zach Short. Only hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200, but his on base is north of a 300 as well. Then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Ore Soler and Hunter Dozier currently hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 to combine 17 home runs for a pair of guys with north of 270 at-bats. They are currently 
suddenly completely useless to you. You've got Ansel Alberto, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benatendi, all these guys hitting between a 270 and a 280. And with Whit Merrifield, 25 stolen bases at his pretty darn impressive Salvador Perez, 21 home runs, 56 RBI. And for Carlos Santana, Whit Merrifield, and Salvador Perez, all north of 50 RBI. So, been able to get a little bit of something there. Bad news for the Royals is that after their bullpen began the year very solid, it has not been so good recently. Scott Parlow, Jake Brantz, these guys have been constants for you, but Josh Shamon has really been regressing. Domingo Tapia is someone that they're kicking the tires on along with Richard Lovelady. These are guys that you don't want to have a lot of faith in. Carlos Hernandez, throughout his career, is not giving you a lot of length. Now, the Detroit Tigers bullpen, it has their deficiencies as well, but you've been able to get a little bit of something out of someone like an Ian Kroll, who I think has a little bit of upside. You've got a guy in Mr. Mize who's going to be able to eat innings for you. Tyler Alexander, who wound up going a few days ago, is probably going to be out of the fold, but Kyle Funkhauser should be able to go in this game. He has been relatively sought out of the bullpen along with Gregory Soto, so I take a look at this spot. I am all aboard the Detroit Tigers on the money line. That is the New York Post play today. Wound up saying the Tigers is north of a minus 130 favorite. That tells you where I'm at with them, and I also set this all at 8.4, so we're diving under along with the New York Post play today. Tigers money line. 923-924 on the bank board. The Oakland A's are going to be in the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Logan Gilbert is going to be going for the M's. Meanwhile, Chris Bassett has the oak line and sinker for the Oakland A's. A's are finding themselves anywhere between minus 135, minus 137 favorites. Plus price on the M's is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 127. 7.5 to 8 is your total. On the 7.5, under is anywhere between minus 105, minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. On the 8, under is minus 120 and the over is even. With Chris Bassett, he has had an impressive season to say the least, but he's going up against a guy in Logan Gilbert that the Seattle Mariners have won each out of his last nine starts, and Gilbert has been highly impressive so far this year. How about him giving up less than a home run per nine innings, right around two walks per nine innings, after he wound up just having two or three really bad starts, he has a sub-2 ERA in the stretch. He has been incredibly good, and he has given up actually a little bit more at home than he has on the road. A punish sharing at 224 off of him in Seattle, buck 85 on the road, but still, he has been able to do it both home and road. I have been very impressed by him, but you do take a look at Chris Bassett as well. Giving up less than a home run per nine innings. He's giving up just a little bit over two walks per nine innings. On the road, 6-0 and in 11 starts. He is giving up right around one home run per nine innings. Opponents are going to get 234 off of him on the road. And with the Seattle Mariners, they just don't back up Mr. Gilbert the way that the Oakland A's back up Chris Bassett. As for Bassett, you've got all these guys with between 11 and 14 homers going into yesterday. Ramon Laureano throwing their match. Chapman, Sean Murphy, Mark Hanna, who was on the injured list for quite a bit. So these guys have been able to do their job. Jed Lowry, along with Mark Hanna, between 260 and 265 batting averages. Matt Olson, 25 bombs. He's hitting a 290 for this team. You've noticed Alex Andrews being able to pick things up a little bit after a bad start to the year. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. They had three guys in the starting lineup yesterday with north of a 225 batting average. Ty France, J.P. Crawford, in between a 270 and 275. And Mitch Anniger has been great this year. 260 batting average, 23 home runs. And you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Kyle Seager. Batting average is a 215, but 18 homers for him. But he, Lewis Torrance, throwing there Jake Bowers, Jared Kelnick. You're able to throw in there Shed Long. List goes on and on of guys that are hitting a 225 or lower for the team. Now, I will say for the Mariners, got a couple guys that have really impressed out of the bullpen. How about the fact that Kendall Graveman currently has an ERA that is a 090? Yeah, that's pretty good. Eric Swanson, a sub-1 ERA. Paul Seawald has been giving up a couple runs recently, but he's been able to do a good job for this team. JT Jargois has given you some good innings. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they've actually got a better ERA on the road than they do at home. Sam Mall has been able to give you a couple good innings recently. Lou Trevino, a sub-2 ERA. 
After a rough start to the year, Sergio Romo has been able to rein it in. J.B. Wendelkin off the injured list has been looking very good the last week or so, so that is something that is going to be encouraging for the Oakland A's, and then Deolis Carrera has been able to give you some good innings as well. I take a look at this spot, and I do think that Logan Gilbert is going to be able to give this team a very good start, but I take a look at the Oakland A's, and I just think that they back up Chris Bassett a little bit better, set the A's as a minus 144 favorite. Don't want to mess around with the run line, because I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Did set this all at some points so I'm going to be going over, barely over, but we're going to be taking a look at the Oakland A's on the money line to go along with that over. 9.25, 9.26 on the betting board. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing with the Washington Nationals. Matt Max Scherzer is going to be going for the Nets. Matt Harvey is on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. I think you know where we're heading here as the Orioles are anywhere between plus 165 and plus 175 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Nats, anywhere between minus 180 and minus 195, 9.5 is your total over and under. Anywhere between minus 105, minus 115. Seeing a straight minus 120 on the over, which will make the under even, but we're not looking at the under. I wound up saying the total at 9.6, so we're going to be diving over in this spot. Set the Nats as a minus 240 favorite, and if you're looking at the run line, which I certainly am, you're laying about a minus 120 to a minus 125 with the Nats. I'm more than happy to do so. Max Scherzer, I recognize that he wound up having a little bit of a tough time with the San Diego Padres and those starts, but by and large has been able to do a great job all year long. How about a 283 ERA? He has been giving up the deep ball a little bit, right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. And if it winds up being Spencer Watkins for the Baltimore Orioles, because betting board currently has Matt Harvey, ESPN.com currently has Spencer Watkins. And Watkins is a guy that I actually like. He's got a buck 65 ERA. He's made a couple starts. He's done a good job of being able to hold down the fort, give it up right around four and a half walks per nine innings. But he keeps the ball in the yard as a 2-0 old record. And I think that he's a rising star in this league. But if you're getting Matt Harvey like we're seeing right now, there's just no taking Matt Harvey. I do recognize that. His last start was actually a relatively solid one, but I mean for Matt Harvey so far this year, it's a 7-13 ERA. This is a man that does not belong in the MLB right now. He's given up three walks per nine innings. He has been just doing an absolutely terrible job in general, giving up at least three runs in 13 out of his last 16 starts. His strikeout numbers are just way, way, way down. He's given you fewer than seven punch outs per nine innings, and that was one of his hallmarks. And you've got a Washington Nationals team that actually leads the National League when it comes to batting average. LCDs Escobar, to my surprise, is sitting right around 285 along Josh Harrison. You've got Gerardo Parra, AK Baby Shark himself. He's been able to take over for the team. Young Gums is currently on the injured list, but Trace Pereira has been able to hit above a 300. You've got Juan Soto and Trey Turner down for what? Both doing a great job of being able to supply the boom. With Soto, five home runs ever since the All-Star break. Both Turner and Soto between 16 and 18 homers apiece. Both of these guys hitting north of a 300. Josh Bell has been able to pick it up as well. He's now hitting a 250. He's got right around 14 home runs so far this year as well. You take a look at him in the month of July, he's been able to hit a 300, so that is very good for the team. And for the Baltimore Orioles, their redeeming quality is the fact that they've been able to get on base as well. Austin, the Sayx kid, Trey Boomo, Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, these guys hitting between a 248 and a 260 for Mountcastle, along with Trey Mancini, and you're able to throw in there Cedric Mullins as well. All these guys between 15 and 17 home runs as well. You've got a couple guys like Miguel Franco along the Pedro Severino, in between a 230 and 240. Ramon Urias has been able to hit a 280, but then you've got Ryan McKenna, Pavlika, Chancisco, Austin Wynn, Stevie Wilkerson, list goes on and on of guys hitting a 210 or lower, throwing their TJ Stewart as well. And for the Washington Nationals, Kyle Finnegan, Danny Hudson, along with Brad Ann have been a good three-headed trio in this bullpen. Wonder, I swear, this guy sucks. has not been good, but Ryan Harper, sub-1 ERA entering into yesterday, so he's been able to do the job. Sam Clay, not necessarily a guy I trust in. And for the Orioles, we've got a couple decent bullpen pieces for this team. 
Cole Solzer, a long tanner scout. Pair of guys with sub 3 2 ERAs. Cesar Valdez, he's got right around a 6 ERA. He has not necessarily been able to do the job recently for the team. Tyler Wells has been able to give you a couple good innings, but Sean Anderson is pretty much a human white flag, and I think that he might be coming out if you wind up getting Matt Harvey. Right now, I'm seeing Harvey versus Scherzer, which means I'm taking the Nets on the run line and this total over. If you wind up seeing Spencer Watkins, I would say that it's probably about a 70 cent difference between Harvey and Watkins. It might even be more. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 because I certainly have a lot more faith in Watkins than I do in Mr. Harvey. 927-928 on the bang board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing us to the Chicago White Sox. One Carlos Rodon is going to be going for the White Sox. Corbin Boone says, for some reason, I always think that his name should be said in an old English accent. It's going to be going for the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers between minus 115 and minus 125 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the White Sox, they're between plus 105 and plus 115. 7.5 is your total. Unders are anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even a minus 110. Rodon has been absolutely amazing for the White Sox. Corbin Burns has been absolutely amazing for the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a total that I set sub-7, so I am certainly going to be all aboard the under in this spot. When you take a look at Corbin Burns, a 2.16 ERA. He has given up 1.5 walks per 9 innings, and he's generating about 13 punch-outs per 9. It is absolutely insane now. He's actually been worse at home. A 2-4 home record with a 2.63 ERA. This is despite the fact that he's given up one home run in 51 and a third innings with 11 walks and a bonus saying a 2-11 off of him. I chalked that up to the Brewers just not being able to hit from. Meanwhile, you go up against a guy in Carlos Rodon who has been incredibly impressive for this team as well. One runner fewer given up in now four out of his last six starts, so this is a guy that is really rolling. His strikeout per nine numbers have been incredibly impressive as well. This is a man that is generating right around 13 strikeouts per nine innings of his own. He's given up right around .65 home runs per nine innings. Walks per nine, 2.4. And on the road, he's actually been better than he's been at home. On the road for Carlos Rodon. 5-0 record, 169 ERA. In 48 innings, he's given up four home runs and 14 walks. And opponents are a buck 84 off of him. He's backed up by a bullpen that has been a little bit intermiss for this team. Aaron Bummer has been a bummer since coming off the injured list. But Ryan Burr has been able to give you some good innings. Now, Garrett Crochet is a guy that you want to be taking a look at and be a little bit concerned with. In the month of June, he had a 6-10 ERA. Here in July, it's right around a 4-ish after he wound up having a sub-1 ERA going into the summer months. Liam Hendricks, so he's able to hold down the fort. He'll probably swear along the way, as we know from the All-Star game. By and large, he's been solid and for the Milwaukee Brewers, Devin Williams, Josh Shader, in my opinion, the best 8th and ninth inning monster out there in the big leagues. Been able to get some good innings out of Hunter Strickland and, to my surprise, Brad Boxberg is right around a 3 ERA as well. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a bunch that they do need to be able to generate a little bit more offense, but Willie Adamas ever since coming to Milwaukee double digit mile formers with a Brewers uniform on. He's hitting right around a 290 Christian Yelich. Six home runs from that's just unsatisfactory. 400 on base is relatively solid but you need a little bit more power out of him. Luis Odias has been able to give the team 13 homers hitting about a 240 along Tyrone Taylor. Colton Wong is hitting a 295 and then with the Chicago White Sox they've been mixing and matching but they've been able to find a little bit of something as Andrew Vaughn Lurie Garcia, Brian Goodwin along with Adam Engel entered into yesterday hitting between a 247 and a 263 between them. Yoel Moncada right around a 4 on base. You've been able to get something out of Tim Anderson as well. 16 stolen bases. He's been able to hit right around a 315. Doesn't walk a lot, but has been able to provide a whole lot of something. And how about Jose Abreu with 75 RBI entering into yesterday? I do think that Carlos Rodon is going to be able to give a good start. I do think that the Brewers have a little bit of an edge when it comes to the bullpen, but that's relatively equal. I wound up saying the White Sox as more around a plus 113 underdog. So here at the plus 115 I'm seeing, barely 
enough for me to be able to take the White Sox. Set the total at 6.4, so we're going to be diving under to go along with the White Sox. And wrap things up with the interleague game out there in New York. 929-930 on the betting board. The Toronto, also known as the Buffalo Blue Jays, who are going to be going away from Buffalo in the road to face off against the New York Metropolitans. Taiwan Walker is going to be going for the Mets. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Blue Jays. Jays are finding themselves as favorites here anywhere between a minus 114 and a minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Metropolitans, you're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 104 and a plus 112 with the Mets. This is a team that has been rock solid at home. On the road, it's been a little bit sketchy, but I take a look at Taiwan Walker, and I think that he's going to be able to do a very good job for a Mets team that winds up entering into the series just absolutely on their game whenever they've been at City Field. A 28-14 home record entering into yesterday. Big reason why they're currently leading this division. And Taiwan Walker said a great job of being able to keep the ball in the air. Giving up six home runs in 90 and a third innings. So he's been able to do a nice job there at home. A 4-0 record. Buck 75 ERA across eight starts. He has allowed one home run in 46 and a third innings. Walks can be a little bit high, but opponents are a buck 78 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Ryu. You don't have to fear walks. He's given up right around two walks per nine innings. Right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. And to my surprise, despite the fact that he has had inconsistent home play to say the least because he's been out there in Dunedin, Florida along with Buffalo, New York all year long. He's got right around a 3-4 home ERA, right around a 3-2 road ERA in his 10 road starts so far this year. Bones are a 2.35 off of him. His strikeout numbers are actually significantly better on the road as well. More like 8 punch outs per 9 innings. You take a look at this Blue Jays lineup. It is one that has a whole bunch of mashers in it. Marcus Simeon has been able to hit 23 home runs. He's hitting about a 2.75 for the team. George Springer needs to pick it up a little bit, but he's starting to. He wanted to begin the year on the injured list. Whenever you've had Reese McGuire out there at the catcher spot, he's been able to give this team a little bit of something. He, Lourdes Gurriel, Randall Gritchick, all in between a 255 and a 265 to Oscar Hernandez is hitting a 300 Vlagero Jr. Being forced to play first base because this is an interleague game. He's got a 430 on base. He's hitting a 330 north of 30 home runs. And then for the Mets, you've got a bunch of guys hitting between a 250 and a 265 for this team. You've got Jeff McNeil, who's been a little bit in and out of the fold. James McCann, Dom Smith, Pete Alonso in that fold. And for Mr. Alonso, goes deep for the 20th time this year. The reigning home run derby champion has been able to do a very good job ever since home run derby, by the way. Brandon Nemo hitting about a 300 along with Luis Colorme. These guys have been solid. Need to get a little bit more out of Jonathan VR, but he's learned to actually draw a couple walks, which is good. Michael Conforto only a 205, but a 335 on base. And to my surprise, the Mets bullpen has actually been very good recently. You take a look at Aaron Loop. He's been able to do a solid job. Seth Lugo has been actually a little bit up and down since coming off the injured list, but Drew Smith has been able to give you a couple solid innings as well. Sub-3 ERA with him. You've had a couple blow-ups with Edwin Diaz, but Miguel Castro has been able to send the tide a little bit for the team. And then you take a look at the Blue Jays. Because of all the injuries to guys like Julia Merriweather and company, they've had to acquire a couple arms for the bullpen. Trevor Richards is someone that's able to give you a little bit of something. I do like Tyler Saucedo, a sub-2 ERA out of him. Adam Simber is a guy that they wind up getting from the Marlins. He's got right around 2.6 ERA overall for the year, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Taiwan Walker going to be able to do a solid job of being able to hold down the fort. Set him as a plus 108 underdog. So seeing these plus 110s, plus 112s, I'm going to take a shot here on the Metropolitans with this total set it at 7.8. I think that you've got a pair of guys that are going to be able to deliver a very good performance, and with the Mets, they're in the bottom five of the big leagues when it comes to runs per game. So we're taking the under along with the Mets on the money line, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Saturday. A big thanks to Bill Schmidt of Sports Map Radio, and he is out there in the great state of Wisconsin, and join me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the 
the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, one or two ways we have for those. And first one is by Twitter timeline at JRS41. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to throw in there whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast in the comments. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 